This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, August 13th, 2022. You know, when you said you were going to go live, I almost forgot it was going to be my job to... Uh, to do that and now it had to like focus in like oh yeah right i'm i'm ready to go and then there was that huge pause what was the deal there oh that was our first episode of technical difficulties for the show oh. I, I i went and clicked that go live button and it just sat there thinking about it <laughs> just thinking waiting the computer wondering ever okay. since we had that heat wave in in washington state the uh Internet's been a little bit flaky. Uh, it's much better now. Between temperatures returning to normal, and I've seen, uh, I've seen mm -hmm. Xfinity trucks out making repairs. Uh, but I'm not surprised that it decided not to work for a few seconds there. You you get heat waves in Washington State. I thought those were like banned by law. Yeah, well, you know, the government of Washington State does what it can to stop climate change, but. Sometimes, sometimes you get degrees in the mid nineties for a whole week. Actually, it's pretty impressive. Uh, they, they've, I've seen like three heat waves like it in the past two years. So yeah, we're pretty much, uh, we're probably in the end times now. So it was nice knowing you. They had a show like that in the eighties, the fire next time it was uh one of those disaster movies where the world got so hot that everybody died basically i mean i can't remember the whole thing but that was that was the uh crux of it you know they had all those disaster movies like uh the day after i think it was called based on a a book where all the nukes flew and and everybody died um, they just like doing those kinds of things. Uh, and actually, that's a topical subject because one of the other things they had during the 80s um, was uh, a miniseries and another miniseries and then a, most of a season of a series called V, which will v. be topical. V. V. Oh, V. Um, I, remember, topical. I remember that existing. Yeah. It'll be topical in a little bit, but first, uh, how was your week? Hey, my week was all right. Uh, personally stressful, but uh, as I mentioned, the heat wave went down, so life sort of went back to normal. Uh, one of the highlights, playing in some more Trilopolis, uh, AD&D, it is so much fun reliving that old game system. An old game system that I'd never played. And if I had played when I was younger, I would have played wrong because everybody played wrong for 40 years, except for the Grognards, who've been playing AD&D since uh, 1979, and, and they wonder what all the fuss is all about. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, I think I, one, one rule I'll, I'll, I'll mention, uh, we had a very uncomfortable, uh, death-defying uh, encounter with a very tall climb. And uh, the AD&D rules make it explicit that a good uh, thief can make that climb, but only 
24 feet at a time, uh, which made the whole thing a little awkward. And I think p players of new D&D might get frustrated by that sort of resolution because, yeah, it's not the most exciting thing to roll, like, what what is it, 20 skill checks in a row? Uh, but... Uh, I was just of the opinion that that, uh, and it turns out I was right. Me just assessing that from my sense of what the rules were, uh, my character was like, they're never going to climb up without dying. So we need to, uh, we need to do something else to keep them from dying. Um, and everybody was like, no, it'll be fine. And I'm like, no, it really, really won't. Yeah, well, I think the truth is, is that uh, those of us who were sitting and watching wanted to watch it happen. Well, like like seeing players hoisted on their own petard. Uh, and then, you know, after it was all over, it turned out it was fine, but only because they misapplied the rules for climb checks and stuff. Uh, and we didn't do any damage for when someone fell like 200 feet on a rope and got slammed at the bottom we didn't do any damage checks for that so, oh yeah that 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 was interesting skipping that skipping the, the possibility that either uh impact against the wall or the uh pulling uh of on the harness like the harness pulling on the the body after falling 200 feet because that technically is is well over max damage for fall you should be doing I mean, even if you cut it off at half, max damage is hit at 100 feet. So if you fell 200 feet, max damage is 10d6. You should be hitting that 10d6 right there. And that would have killed everybody. That's why my character was saying, no, don't do that. Let us go get some rope and some more, you know, climbing gear to hammer things into the wall to keep you safe. But... Uh, Turns out the universe wasn't paying close attention that day, so we got away with it. Well, I think um, I think the rule of thumb I'm going to go with is that next time we're trying to decide a course of action, I'm just going to listen to whatever Warpig and Macho Mandalf say. <laughs> yeah, because we had two easy rooms to go check out, and I kept on saying, let's go check out the easy rooms first, and then we'll come back to the bottomless pit which turned out to have been 600 feet deep, 580 feet deep. And halfway down, it turned into slick metallic walls that were basically, you know, you couldn't get handholds on. And so you just had to depend on the rope. And at that point, what I was thinking is, this is a trap. This is something that you're meant to crawl down and at some point, it turns into a slick wall where you're just going to end up sliding down right into the mouth of some monster. I thought this was just a straight funnel right into the gullet of some creature. That's uh, what I was expecting, too. <laughs> which would have been cool, actually. Uh, yeah, I, uh, we got out of there and, and we're building a contraption. We're actually building a mining... Um, uh elevator you know one of those uh platforms with walls that have a pulley system that you can uh winch up and winch down 
to lower down there so we don't actually have to do any climbing anymore. So that way, uh, people who are not uh, quote-unquote scouts or dwarves uh, can get up and down the walls. <laughs> so that'll be neat. Yeah, that was fun. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, what about you? How's your week? Uh, I have been busy as ever working 12 hour days. I watched the Sandman uh, series on Netflix and I've been rereading the Sandman comics. So I'm ready to talk about that next week. Uh, we've been having a brouhaha about initiative in AD&D. So um, we'll want to talk about that next week too. Um, and I just, lost ambition on the Resident Evil Netflix series. I may have to pick that up so we can talk about that next week. Um, oh, don't do that to yourself. Oh, and I'm hoping to watch... You don't, you don't have to take that one for the team, man. <laughs> I'm hoping to watch Prey for next week because people have been saying that surprisingly enough it doesn't totally suck. So, you know, I do want to see that for next week too. Praise the new Predator sequel with uh, Indians. And Oh, boy. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to use Indians. That's racist now. They're Indians. What are you talking about? Even Native Americans is racist now. I'm supposed to use... Uh, Indigenous peoples? Nope. Nope. Uh, in, First Canada, they, in Canada, they say First Nations. That's Canadian. You don't have to use that here. Oh, I don't have to use that here. It's okay with indigenous persons? I don't know. Shoot, they call themselves Indians. Just stick with that. Okay. So, yeah. Of course, the point is, uh, the point is to avoid offending the, uh, the actual uh, subjects, but to offend the people who are uh, habitually offended on behalf of all the subjects. See, I, I remember when American Indians was acceptable. I'm an old man, right? So I get kind of like that. I, I have reached that age where people have to say things like, oh, you, because I'm old and set in my ways. You can't expect me to change. I, I, and I'm going to play that card for all it's worth because I'm sick of trying to keep up with all the changes in language. Uh, so I, I'm going to play that card now. When people come at me and say, you know, you're not supposed to say that, then I'm going to say, uh, you know, oh, I'm old. Look at me. I'm old. You can't say that anymore because <laughs> I'm so old. Uh, I get to play the I'm old card on, on terms and I get to use whatever terms I remember at the time. Uh, and if they try to cancel me, I can tell them, you know what? I, I got canceled like eight years ago. So I've been canceled for the longest time and it's too late. I'm pre-canceled. You already kicked me out of, off the island. So you know, whatever. I'm done. I'm gone. I've been fried. So, uh, anyways, uh, I think that's everything for this week. I'm working hard. Things are moving along. Uh, I've had some great stuff happening on uh, various things that I'm not allowed to talk about yet uh, for good reason. Um, but those of you who are looking forward to things that you may have heard rumors about, um, things are looking up. Things are going great. Um there is a person that I'm not 
going to name because it would just be name dropping and I'm really not trying to boast and brag about myself. But we had a, a hour long conversation last night and I got uh, two pieces of little feedback and a lot of that's great thumbs up. I can't think of anything else to add. So, you know, maybe feel really, really good about the stuff I'm doing because he is the most knowledgeable person I know on on the subject we were discussing. So to get a big thumbs up and I can't think of anything you should change was uh, uh, was a real I was I was so happy. Confidence um, coaster. Well, mostly just just feeling really pleased. Um, the two the two uh, criticisms he had were, hey, you should add this and you should add that. Uh, and they were things I genuinely overlooked, but they fit right in with what I'd already done. I didn't have to change anything to add them. I just had to, you know, put them in. Uh, so I'm feeling really good. Uh, all the big replumbing, uh, a lot of it is done. Uh, if I have any other big replumbing that needs to be done, um, it's looking like things are going cool. So um, there are projects I'm working on. I'm hoping to unveil them as soon as I can. And that's it. That's all I have to say. Um, cool. So V. Uh, v was all about aliens coming to Earth. And uh, there were a lot of people who jumped in with the aliens to establish their uh, administration over the planet their governance over the planet because they were here to help. But were they really? Um, and then there was a resistance against the visitors because uh, that's what V stood for was the visitors. But it also stood for victory over the visitors. Um, but what if expelling the visitors took a 20-year war, a brutal war, and then after that, you had to hunt down collaborators who had fled. Um, so the government turned to hiring bounty hunters who could track down collaborators and Bring them to justice. Um, and even so, that description doesn't do the novel justice. That is a novel, The Family Business, by Mike Kupari. And I apologize if I don't pronounce that name correctly. Mike Kupari, who was an uh, EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, um, in an actual shooting war, um, and I want to say Afghanistan, I apologize if it was uh, Iraq, um, who wrote uh, the books, um, uh, a trilogy with uh, Larry Correa about what if all the left-wing and right-wing conspiracies were true and were fighting each other. Um, and you'll have to remind me of the name, The Shadows Trilogy. Uh. What up, nerds? That was the Dead Six trilogy that Dead I wrote, Six. Larry. 
Larry Korea, the three books were Dead Six, Swords of Exodus, and Alliance of Shadows. There but if you go. want to read them all together, there is a giant compendium book called uh, Invisible Wars that has not only the three novels, but the uh, uh, three short stories written by myself, Larry, and uh, additional author Peter Nealon, plus an extended intro, and it's been updated a little bit. It's really probably the best version to get right now. Um. And he also has a new book that just came out on the 3rd uh, of this month, which is why uh, we invited him on the show today to uh, talk about his new book, but also to talk about family business, which I know I've mentioned on the show. I pimped on the show at least twice because I love it. It's great. Uh, and you guys should definitely check out the family business. But also, you should check uh, out Trouble Walked In. And so we're going to give Mike uh, all the time he wants to talk about the books. Uh, and so I want to start the show by saying, how awesome was the family business? Oh, you're asking me? I wrote yeah. it. You know, uh, medium to fair. I was, <laughs> it's actually, it's my favorite. The family business is probably my favorite book that I've written so far, um, which isn't a big number, but uh, I... I think I liked the world and the setting and the characters the most of my works so far, largely because the setting was the Southwest, uh, mostly Arizona, but also New Mexico and a little part in Utah. And I was living in Arizona when I started writing that. And it was kind of, kind of my love letter to the Southwest because I did very much enjoy living there. Um, Trouble Walked In, though. This is the one that came out this month. This is was a little bit different for me. This is a story about a detective who is hired by a woman to find her missing sister. And it ends up spiraling into a conspiracy involving ancient alien artifacts that could affect the entire future of the planet they're living on, the colony world of Nova Columbia. Um, people have told me that they enjoyed it even though they're not fans necessarily of the detective genre well that's good news because i had never read a detective genre novel until i read a raymond chandler novel before i started writing this as to kind of get into the mindset and see what the the standards for the genre were so uh people who are new to it so was i so don't feel like that's going to uh be a hindrance for you that's great. Have you? Go ahead. No, 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 please. Uh, I, I want to pull on that thread. Uh, I know the book's just been out for a little over a week. Have you had any detective story fans come in and compare the story favorably or unfavorably to a Raymond Chandler or other detective I, story? I don't, I, as a general rule, I don't read reviews. Um, but my wife has told me that some people have seen comments to the effect where, you know, it's it's very fitting for the genre. I didn't try to make it like too tropey. I, I didn't want to just have it be like a list of cliches. But there are some definite, you know, I guess you'd call it iconic imagery from how everyone imagines detective fiction to be. Especially if you're not that familiar with it, you know, like he's 
in his office in the evening with the city out the window and he's he's got a glass he's drinking his glass of bourbon and a beautiful woman walks into his office and i opened the book with a quote from uh, tracer bullet from kelvin and hobbs so <laughs> perfect i wanted to really uh i figured that was worth a shout out if nothing else well i mean the very first scene in the book opens with somebody who's um, you know, hired the private detective with uh, to find out if his wife's been cheating on him. And you can say, oh, well, that's a cliche, but it's it's what TV tropes called truth in advertising in that, yeah, that's actually one of, if not the most common thing, private detectives get hired to do. I that's have I have an acquaintance, actually a friend of mine, I should say, who does or at least for a while, did that kind of work in a modern investigation investigations agency. And a big chunk of what they do, from what I understand, is, you know, that's the kind of things they get hired for. They get hired to yeah. people hire them to snoop on their spouses, or they go looking for people who jump bail. And so actually, you know, he his experience kind of applied to both the last two books I've written in different ways. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just reality it's not a cliche that's you know that's about as unrealistic as having a soldier shoot a gun i mean that, that that'd be like writing a story about a carpenter that opens up with uh, someone asking him to make some custom cabinets yeah that's that's what they're for so, it, it said, so that's your that's your next job uh is it okay if I call you Mike? Yes, please. Uh, Mike, that's your next uh, that's your next book. Make some make an awesome book about a carpenter, and, and the opening scene is someone asking to make custom cabinets. <laughs> that's uh, uh, yeah that that's uh, that's one of the books of the Bible they don't teach in Sunday school, right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing it now, Joseph. I need your skills. So I'm, small I've got to... <laughs> I was I was off in my own little world there for a second. Go ahead, D-Dub. The whole show was spiraling, spiraling in. It was about to hit the ground and explode. Um, <laughs> I, no, I have a serious question about uh, putting the book together. Um, there yes. are so, so many... Um, science fiction novels being published nowadays in indie uh, publishing, and even just Mill SF, if you wanted to, if you even just restrict yourself to Mill SF, there are hundreds of novels that have been published since, let's say, 2010 uh, or 2015, and more are being published daily. Uh, is it difficult to, or do you even worry about um, keeping it fresh and pushing forward in sci-fi? Me personally, no, I don't worry. Um, it's easy for me because I don't read very much anymore. Um, writing books has all but killed my enjoyment of reading, so I don't know what's going on in sci-fi. So. People can say my work is derivative, but I assure you, in most cases, it's not because I have probably haven't seen the thing you're thinking I'm deriving it from. Um, 
and that's not because I'm like, oh, I'm such a sophisticated artist. I don't have, or I'm that I'm so busy. It's just, I don't know. Once you start doing this for a living, for me, at least it became like, how can I put this? If I start reading a book, very often what happens is I start thinking, well, if I was doing this, what would I do? And that's not me like thinking I could do it better than the author necessarily. That's just me thinking, how would I tell this story? And it's very immersion breaking and it's distracting and that and, you know, 30 years of internet almost have shortened my attention span to the point where uh, I mean, how many of us can even get through a movie anymore without checking our phones? Let's be honest. So um, keeping up with what's like the thing in sci-fi, I, I don't worry about it because even that notwithstanding the, the modern explosion in indie novels, um, everything has been done. It's probably been done multiple times. It's been done well. It's been done poorly since there, I mean, there are only so many stories when you get down to it and they've been retold since the beginning of recorded civilization. So instead of worrying about that, you just need to focus on making your story as good as you can. Um, people will get on, you know, they'll quote TV tropes and they'll say, oh, you did this trope and that trope. But sometimes tropes exist for a reason. They're used because they're, they work. They're, you know, effective storytelling tools. They're shorthand. Yeah. And there are some of them are just identifiable situations. And the reason they, be, they recur as tropes is because, you know, this is how these are situations that occur in people's lives just not necessarily in a one for one but they're the types of situations that might occur in your scenario if that makes sense so don't stress over well somebody else did this already because like like south park said the simpsons already did it just tell your story <laughs> i don't i don't that doesn't mean you go out and plagiarize you know or anything like that, but don't worry about it. It's only hackneyed if you make it hackneyed, I should say. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here. How do you make it not hackneyed? What's your signature? Oh crushing incredible talent for starters. Oh yes. Good answer. You know, it adds an extra 30 pounds when I step on the scale. My doctor disagrees on that, but uh, <clears throat> <laughs> but it's really, and that's kind of a tough thing because I have a hard time explaining in like normal people words the uh, my my writing process because it is not it is kind of chaotic. It's kind of um, I, I don't necessarily have like a method like a set method every time I just, an idea occurs to me and then I start, I'll usually end up making like a, come up with a setting before I come up with the story or the characters because I, I enjoy world building. So I'll see something or think of something that makes me think, oh, this is kind of interesting. What kind of world would this exist in? And then that gets my imagination going and I'll spend a lot of time just mulling that over sometimes years. Um, the inspiration for what ultimately became the family business began in 2016. I was driving from Colorado to Arizona and I went through the four corners and somewhere up on the Navajo nation, there was a, a roadside motel that had been abandoned. 
and it was just there by the highway in the middle of nowhere with very little else around and i just the imagery of that was kind of striking and it stuck with me and somehow that translated into a bounty hunters going after an alien hold up in there and one thing led to another um but mostly making avoiding being like too hackneyed is telling your story your way don't like i read a raymond chandler novel just to get a feel but i didn't try to like mimic raymond chandler because i'm not raymond chandler you know um you may have seen this issue crop up in high fantasy where everybody for a while there some people may have been trying to be tolkien you know well, tolkien could get away with things that you can't because he in you know was one of the founders of the genre it's like you know you can you can't get away with things that frank herbert got away with in dune like uh omniscient narrator so just do it your way and come up with your own storytelling method your own voice and go from there how would you describe your voice uh, sexy uh gravitas right. um. <laughs> <laughs> sexy gravitas all right um, uh one my, of my, my uh oh, one of my ahead. biggest fans is is listening uh, my girlfriend listens to every show and so i'm gonna get her take on that later i'll let you know okay uh, whether it qualifies well if she disagrees i hate to tell you this but she's wrong so yeah well i mean th that's that's safe because she likes my voice so but uh developing your you know your your uh your voice for a book and it's gonna be different from book to book and from character to character um that's a lot of that just comes down to practice like getting you know you've written a few books and you kind of you just kind of get the feel you get a feel for what your uh how this guy sounds in your head and one thing that helps out with me is when i'm actually writing a specific character is i try to think of somebody like a tv show character or somebody i know that kind of talks or sounds or thinks like the character i'm writing and you can go from there like okay well what if this person was in this situation what do you think he would say or do and that can give you kind of give you a little bit of a uh, framework to work from you know in the case of my detective character, Easy Novak, I always ended up imagining his voice sounding like uh, the uh, synth detective Valentine from Fallout 4. <laughs> Just because that was the last detective character that I remember hearing on like a thing. I haven't watched a lot of like uh, classic detective movies or anything. And Detective Valentine was a great character. Yes, yes, he was interesting, and he really, yeah, and granted, his character and his voice was all, it was meant to be very tropey, but it worked, you know, his, his calm demeanor, his understated way of expressing his opinions and everything, that, that worked, and I kind of, that's where, I, for me, that was kind of a starting point for Easy's uh, voice, for his, for his narration style. Looks like we... Oh, we have Mike Massa in the audience. Yes. He's also Mike. in the OD. Wow. Mike Massa was a Navy SEAL. He, oh, uh, wait. Yeah, he was. He was in. Now, granted, most, <clears throat> most Navy EOD are guys who wanted to be SEALs but said they weren't strong swimmers, quote unquote. But uh, <laughs> Mike Massa has plenty to be proud of all of himself. In fact, if you ever get him on, get him talking about diving, and he'll tell you about the uh, how awesome that 
that high jump from the Golden Gate Bridge was in the U.S. Navy SEALs movie, even though the movie itself was silly. Because the stuntman actually did that and hurt himself, if I recall correctly. Oh, boy. That was a silly movie, wasn't it? Yeah, but it had an awesome stunt. So. Oh, speaking of silly Navy SEAL movies with awesome stunts, uh, have have you seen uh, the Terminal List? We were just talking. I think Daddy Warpig, did we talk about that last week? Yeah. I have not gotten around to seeing it. Everyone says it's good, so I am thinking I'm going to make time for it. Uh, cool. The last TV show I've been watching is each each episode is released. I've been watching season two of Primal, the animated show, which I quite liked season one and I quite like season two so far. All right, I'm nothing but a distraction today. Um, do you have, uh, and I do this to uh, many of our author guests, is there a snippet, uh, a paragraph or, or a page or something from Trouble Walked In or something that you like that you'd like to read to, to give us a, an even better idea of your voice? Oh, dear God, you want me to read from my book? Oh, I just uh, just asked. I, I and, and I neglected to ask this before the show, so uh, this is totally unfair. I'm totally blindsiding you. Oh, um, I don't know that I even have a copy within reach. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I guess everybody's just gonna have to buy the book. How? Let me think. Yeah. Um. Oh, I have the perfect idea though. There is a short story I wrote that goes along with the novel. Oh, lovely. Is it on uh, Bayon.com? It's available on the Bayon website. And let me find the link and I'll send it to you guys. And uh, I'll we'll make sure that link is in the show notes uh, afterwards. Um, everybody listening later uh, will be able to check it out. And then everyone, it's it's not directly related to the the main story, but it's I wrote it to help the readers get a feel for what the the setting is like and the storytelling style. It's same character, main character, Detective Easy Novak, on a different case, and it's a short story, ten thousand words. So so it shouldn't take anyone but a. Uh, little bit to read and see if they like it and let me send that link to you guys sounds there. great there i sent you the link got it so that probably is a better example than me attempting to be like a a good read aloud author so <laughs> um is um do you have a a, a potential sequel for the family business noodling around in your skull somewhere um at this time not really i'm open oh, okay. to it i'm open to the idea i've had i'm, I'm not trying to humble brag but a few, more than a few people have asked me about that and I'm, I'm it's awesome and flattering to see that people like the world and like the settling like the setting so much and it's kind of, you know, validating because when I turned it in, I was pretty sure it was garbage. And it turned out it wasn't. So, hey, good for me. But uh, I wrote it as a standalone story. And the same goes true with Trouble Walked In, my current one. Those are both 
meant to be one-offs. There's not, it's not, it doesn't end in a cliffhanger. It doesn't set up a sequel. It doesn't leave, unless I messed up somewhere, it doesn't leave any of the main story questions unanswered. It, it was meant to be something you could just pick up and enjoy, and you're not in the middle of a series. You don't have to worry about finding the first five books in the series. The characters go through the complete, their complete arcs, and then it's done. Now, there is room in both worlds for a lot more storytelling, I think, but I haven't, I haven't quite gotten around to thinking about that yet. I'm in the midst of my next project, as is. I, uh, one of the things I've noticed about writers, um, because I've gotten to know many writers over the last eight years, is uh, all the writers I know are insanely busy. I've got a writer friend who's a good friend of mine who I have to uh, literally have to schedule conversations with because he's so busy. His time is is scheduled out down to like 10 and 15 minute increments. Um, and it's just insane. So uh, if people are wondering why you don't read a lot as a writer, part of it is also because you just don't have time. Like I've been working, I don't have time to play video games anymore. Something had to give and it was playing video games. I haven't played video games very frequently since the beginning of this year. Um, and that's, I didn't play video games at all last year because I didn't have my console. And so I have a lot of games I wanted to catch up on and I haven't been doing hardly any of that. So it's, that's why they don't read. Well, I, I can't say that I'm necessarily as crazy busy as some people, I mean, some people I know are but one of the secrets to success in writing possibly the biggest secret and it's not really a secret because i'm telling everybody now is hustle you know you got to be prolific you got to get your work out there and that's the hard part is keeping your butt in the chair and your fingers on the keyboard because it's not like for for me and for most of the other people who do this that i know it's not like you going to work at your normal day job. You know, you can't just sit down and turn on the creativity like a faucet and then turn it back off. Um, I wrote the first part of uh, the family business, for example, over two years where I was on the road as a over-the-road truck driver. You know, I was out on the road for two weeks at a time and I'd come home for about five days a month. And sitting down to write after working all day can be tough, especially when you put in a 10 hours of driving out of a 14-hour workday you're lucky if you can get a little bit in here and there but if you want to make it as a writer if you really want it to be your job you got to treat it like a job you have to produce and you have to always be whatever you can do to make some money or to get your work out there is something you probably should consider doing and unfortunately for anyone who's aspiring to be a writer out there let me say this you can put 10 years of work in as a writer and more, most likely, you would be making better money if you had put 10 years in at a normal job. Mm -hmm. So write because you want to, maybe because you enjoy it, because you just feel compelled to tell your stories. That's fine. Don't have any illusions about thinking it's going to, that you're going to be the next, 
you know, J.K. Rowling or even George R.R. R. Martin or even Larry Carrillo, because those are definitely the exceptions to the rule. Um, there is a lot of stuff out there these days. It's easier to get your work published now than it's ever been, because you could just publish your own stuff right through Amazon. There are more small presses out there than there used to be. And you can get your work out there if you really, you know, if you got a little bit of talent and a lot of dedication and and keep at it. You can probably get your work out there, but getting it seen, getting it sold, getting it noticed through the, the ocean of competitors, that's the hard part. And even if you do that, even if you get a picked up by a traditional publisher and good thing, um, making money off of writing is a, it's a long game, right? It builds up over time as you build up your back catalog. And whenever you have something new comes out, then you people buy that and new readers will say, hey, I like this. And they'll go back and look at your back catalog and they'll buy some of those too. It's a slow burn. You're probably not going to get discovered on your second book and then start making big money. I know several writers who have been much more prolific than me, have been award-winning and all that, and they still haven't quit their day jobs. So if you're interested in getting in writing, by all means, give it your shot, but be realistic about what you're getting into. And prepare to be disappointed because it's, you're going to be disappointed along the way. Something that, perhaps a lot. And that's okay. That's part of the process. But, you know, it can suck when you put in hours of work into something and you realize it's crap. Or worse, you don't realize it's crap, but an editor does. And say, hey, this 10,000 words needs to go because it's crap. They might put it more diplomatically, but they might not. So you really think about how you're going to deal with that before you start, you know, uh, making plans for your next, your, your future possible book tours or whatever. Okay. <laughs> Not everybody gets to get the Patrick Rothfuss hype machine <clears throat> where you don't actually have to write anymore. That doesn't happen. Well, um, must be nice. All I can say on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you can base an entire career off of going to cons and sitting on panels. And there are still people who can do that. Usually, they're old, you know, they're, they're recognized names. But the the fiction world and the fiction publishing industry has changed a lot in the last few decades. A lot, a lot in the last ten years. And like, you know, back in the day, back in the '60s and the '70s, and even into the '80s, guys could make a living as short story writers um for different magazines and for anthologies and all that that's tough to do these days a lot of those magazines if they even exist are just online only and maybe they don't pay so well you know i mean maybe they pay five six cents a word depending on your on how recognized you are maybe they pay more if you're better or less if you're a newbie you know you think about oh they offer you five cents a word for an eight thousand word story well yeah don't don't quit your day job, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but there's opportunity in all this change, though, right? Like I said, for independent writers, it's better for them now than it's ever been, because you can skip all of the uh, the slush piles and having to fight your way through the uh, the gatekeepers in traditional publishing. The downside to this is, is some of those gatekeepers were there for quality control. And mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that gets published 
especially through like Kindle Direct and all that, is unedited crap. And I'm not trying to tear down like somebody who's doing their best, but it, it is. And I've seen it, and some of what I've seen is kind of kind of bad. It's def it desperately needs the work of a professional editor, you know, because editing and writing are, as far as I'm concerned, they're two separate skill sets. And being one at good does not being being one at good. I'm dexic. Being good <laughs> at one does not mean you're good at the other, and vice versa. In fact, very few people are good at both. And in some of the stuff I've read. Uh, from like Kindle directed online, he's like, it was okay. Some of it was kind of not okay. And don't get me wrong, you do see that in traditional publishing too. You see things that get through, and you're like, a lot of people were, got looked at this before they pulled the trigger on that, and they still went with it. But you know, on the other hand, what's good is a matter of subjective taste. So now you bring uh, you bring up the business, and, and what's really interesting to me is that a lot of people that we talk to a lot of authors specifically are really into the neo patronage model and low pro and chat even mentions patreon although you know making fun of um hack authors who stopped writing uh, but you're <laughs> you're uh you're you're published through bane books right uh -huh. now but what's your experience with <clears throat> um the neo patronage model with not only sites like patreon but um crowdfunding your uh works at all have you done any experimentation with that what are your thoughts back when i had facebook every so often i would like put out put out the tip jar and beg for money occasionally and people were generous it got me through some rough stretches there and i would try to like you know say hey here's a snippet or here's something i'm working on rattle the cup a little bit you know and but beyond that like having a patreon or a subscribe star or whatever i haven't done any of that i haven't tried the content creator model of this i haven't necessarily had to because up until fairly recently i had a full-time job and the writer was just a side gig so mm -hmm. some of that comes up i think when people are trying to make it full-time as a content creator in one form or another be it a writer or a youtuber or a blogger or whatever and it's one of those things where it can be tough to make money off of this stuff, especially when you're first starting out. So I understand why they do it. And if you if you're doing it and you can make it work, you know, hey, that's great. People will call it a grift, right? Anytime you do something that you make money off of that somebody doesn't like, they're going to call you a grifter. Well, grifter calling somebody a grifter implies there's some deception into it, you know, or that you're not sincere. Well, if you're creating something that people like and they want to give you money help you keep doing it there's that's not a griff that is mm -hmm. you know that's that's capitalism so there's nothing wrong with that it's not going to work for everybody though and you also you need to remember where your money comes from and produce stuff your fans like so think about that before you start putting out the patreon links you know like are you just are you going to give something people for their money to make it worthwhile or are you just begging because it's, you can probably get away with just begging for a while, but sooner or later, people are going to be start thinking, well, what are we getting for this? Is he putting out new videos, new books, new, new stories, new anything, or are we just giving? Is this just turned into a charity? Yeah, man, that sounds like work. I don't, I don't know about that. It, it's one of those things where it can. This, 
the hustle itself becomes the full-time job you were trying to get away from when you quit your full-time job, right? <laughs> this is a, 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 something that people seem to have a misconceptions about like, oh, I can, I'll just go be a writer or I'll be focused on my YouTube career or my whatever. And like, I won't have to worry about, no, you still have to worry about all this stuff, except now it's all you. Got to wear a lot of different hats. And you're your own promoter too, which that would be tough for me being responsible for a hundred percent of my own like self-promotion and everything i would struggle with that i would have a hard time with that i don't you know some people have the perfect personality for that i am not one of those people so it's and i guess i'm not trying to discourage anybody who wants to get in who wants to start go go be the culture right go put your work out there give it your best shot if you succeed great if you fail at least you tried right but don't don't kid yourself about what you're getting into either, because it is very much at the end of the day, it becomes a job. It's work. You're not going to enjoy it all the time. You're not going to that thrill of creativity you get. It's going to fade pretty quickly. And then you're just going to start stressing about how, how far behind you are or whatever. And how it's, are you... it's really easy to panic at some point when you're writing or when you're starting out, uh, because it's really easy to be afraid that you're failing, that you're writing crap. And sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not true. But it's also really easy if you've been working at it for a long time, you've been struggling for a long time, and you're used to not getting things where you want to be. It's really easy to panic when you start succeeding. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to you have to keep your head down and push away um when things are going well and when things are going badly yeah yeah it's and since it's something and in the case of you know creative endeavor it's something that you put like you put yourself into versus just showing up and doing what the company wants you to do all day right so when it doesn't do well or when it's, it fails or people don't think it's good or people aren't enjoying it you, it's real easy to take it personally. And some people out there will be mean and try to make it personal, right? But you can't, you can't take it personally. You gotta, you gotta keep at least a little bit of separation between you and your work. Because if you start taking it personally, every setback is gonna be an insult. It's gonna hurt your feelings. It's gonna, it's gonna drag, you, drag your morale down. And that's how you end up giving up. And you know, if it doesn't, I don't want to say that you should never give up because honestly, if you try and try and try and struggle and struggle and struggle and you're just not getting any traction, you're just not making it, you really need to have some honest self-analysis and ask yourself, is this the best use of my time? Because time is a valuable resource and you don't know how much of it you have left, right? So ask yourself, is this a, is this a valuable use of my time? Am I getting the most out of my time by doing this? But that applies in all situations in life. So it's not just writing, you know, it's like this long argument I'm on on Twitter. Does that, is this a good use of my time or could I be doing something that makes me happy instead of that makes me irrationally angry, right? So, but on the other hand, if you quit, then you're never, obviously you're never going to succeed. So like I said, I don't read reviews. Um, 
not just because I'm afraid of reading a bad review, but because when I published my first book, I read all the reviews that I could find. I'd read the reviews on Amazon and I learned something is like, you will get no useful feedback from reading reviews in most cases. For my first novel, I was simultaneously praised for my rich world building and criticized for my paper thin world building. Hmm. Right. What are you supposed to do with that? And you can't do anything with it. It's because it's a matter of taste. It's a matter of opinion. Now, if your work gets read and critiqued by someone whose opinions you value and or respect, that's a different matter, right? Like if someone who's like a professional, who's like a successful novelist or a successful editor says, well, maybe you should think about doing this, this, and this, or maybe tweak it like this, that might be advice you want to listen to. But if it's just some like randos who leave reviews on, you know, Amazon or wherever, a lot of it is just a matter of their taste and not everybody's going to like what you do. Not everyone's going to like you. And so to be fair to say that the, that, that sort of feedback is not helpful for it's creating not, or it's, feedback it's, on your work. It's it, not, it might be helpful for sales. That's it's it. not that kind of feedback. Reviews on Amazon are important for getting your stuff out there. You get more than like 50 reviews, I want to say, and it gets picked up by the mysterious algorithm and gets shown to more people. So you should definitely, you know, if you want to help an author out, definitely leave reviews, you know, because the more reviews it gets on Amazon, specifically the more traction it gets in the system, there are the more people who actually be able to see it. Um, but for you as the writer, if you want to read your reviews and see what people are thinking, that's that's fine. But don't get too wrapped around the axle about the opinions of the reader reviews because, again, it's just a matter of some of these. It's a matter of their taste. I had a someone give me a kind of a middling review on a book because it, they said in their review that if they were doing the world building, they would have had corporations running these planets instead of different cultures. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, then why don't you write that book instead of being mad at me for not writing it, right? So you're, you're going to get some of that. And, gotcha. And it's easy to let it drag you down, too. I mean, reading, it's just like reading the comments on a YouTube video or the, the comments on a Twitter post, right? It's easy to get dragged down into that. It's easy to take it personally. And... It's not helpful. It'll make you neurotic before it helps you make write better books. And trust me, there are already enough neurotic authors out there. We don't need any more. <laughs> so switching gears a bit, what's next? For me, I am are currently you? working on a the first, I'm currently working on a, a brand new space opera. Uh, work in progress is called Twin Star. Um, it's what I hope, if it does well, will be the first of a series versus the two standalone novels that I just read, just wrote. And, uh, it's all new. It's not related to my previous couple space operas that I put out. And I think people who have liked my stuff before are really going to like it. And beyond that, I have ideas. I have things I want to push. I have, I have plans, but it's got to pace myself, you know? You gotta, as a writer, you have to, and I suppose this is probably true of any form of content creation, right? You have to find out how, how much work you can put out without sacrificing quality. 
Like, can you put out? Because more is usually better, but not if your quality falls through and it just becomes a sea of crap, right? So if you can write a book a year, that's not that's not like fantastic, but that's that's decent. That's good production. That'll build up your back catalog if you're in for the long game. If you could put out two books a year, well, that you're now you're really cooking, right? But I don't think right now I could put out two books a year, even doing this full time. That's that's hard. So, and some of that might depend on what you're writing too, right? If you are writing in an established, like if you're a writer for an established IP, like if say back in the day you were writing Star Wars novels or BattleTech novels or whatever, and you already have the world pre-made for you and you've built it up in your previous works, that could take some of your workload off. And that's also true if you're writing a series, right? Because you've already built the world. You've already established it. The readers are familiar with it. You don't have to rehash that and do that all over from scratch. If you're trying to write brand new things every time, that could be tougher. Because for every novel, you are establishing the world. You have to think it up. you got to make your notes. you got to figure out what the rules are. And that at least for me, it can be very time-consuming. I spend a lot of time banging my head against the wall for world-building. And I end up doing a lot of reading. I look at a lot of random pictures to try to get visual ideas of what I'm trying to think about. And it can be a process, a time-consuming process in my case. Mm -hmm. So that's your, that's your target for right now where you're at in your process in your career is that you want to do one book a year. So that's... I think a book a year is reasonable for me where I'm at right now. Eventually, as I get, and some of this is a matter of skill, right? This is a long term, right? I keep saying it, but writing is a long game, right? You get better at it over time as you practice more. Practice is a lot of it. It's not, people think it's talent. And I'm not saying talent doesn't matter because it absolutely does, but it's the smallest part of the equation. You know, your work and how much how fast, how much work you can do, you know, how much you can learn from your previous work, that's a much bigger factor than talent. And you get better over time. It's like any other skill. The more you do it, the, the more, you know, you learn from your mistakes. You look back at your older stuff, you're like, wow, if I would do this now, I would have changed this, this, or this. Or I feel differently about this now. I wouldn't have maybe done it like that. So that's good, though. That's you um, growing as a content creator, as a, as a writer, as a whatever endeavor you choose. It's you becoming better at it. And hopefully you keep growing your entire life. So you can always look back and say, you know, yeah, I've, I've gotten better at a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't, maybe there's a point where you just like, you know, you just like you hit max level or something. For some people, you're just like, this is me. I'm at the top of my game. This is where I want to stay. If you get there, that's fantastic. If not, well, oh well, right? As long as people are buying the books or watching your videos or reading your stories or buying your comics, right? You're, you're successful. That's what really matters at the end of the day is that people are getting, people are enjoying your product and they want you to make more. The rest of it is just kind of window dressing. Is that what you find the most satisfying about the work yeah honestly yeah because during the process of writing a book it can be there can be some personal drama involved right i go through sometimes i'll go through this process of like oh this is garbage i hate this i hate writing i hate myself i've made a huge mistake 
And that will vary from person to person, from, from writer to writer, but there's quite a bit of that out there, even if some of the ones who won't admit it, right? And some of the people who admit it entirely too much on the other end of the spectrum. But uh, self-doubt and self-criticism, that's, that's a very real part of it, right? And getting over that and getting, a, you know, getting it done, getting it turned in, and getting people to read it, to me, that is immensely satisfying. You know, when people come back and say, hey, I really like this, or, you know, I like this character, or I like what you did here, that is, that is immensely satisfying to hear. But I think for me, though, even more than, like, positive feedback, I just like getting it done. You know, I feel accomplishment. When I get the copy of the book in my hand, they're like, I did this, I made this. That, that is very helpful for me, personally. Uh, that's a great point. And it sounds honestly, it sounds healthy because you are writing to your audience and you uh, do intend to, you know, serve those needs. And, you know, at the end of the day, you won't need to be able to buy food. But that sort of internal sense of accomplishment, uh, that's we all need that as human beings. And I think that's why you've seen uh, the amount of success that you have with your books, because it's it's also internal if that it, makes sense yeah um it's, it's one of those things where how can i put this um you have to have some desire some you have to derive some satisfaction from it above and beyond just the paycheck because you know getting into your creative endeavors writing you know video making whatever for most of you most of us isn't going to pay all that well especially when you're first starting out my very first royalty check in 2012 was like $167, right? And, mm. that, and that's for a novel I wrote with a New York Times bestselling author. So <laughs> um, you have to have something that drives you to do it more than the money, because if it's just the money, you can probably make more money doing something else. If you're just interested in, you know, financial stability and success, there are easier ways to get there than writing books. <laughs> so... You have to take some satisfaction from it. Maybe you just really want to tell stories. Maybe you really just like people enjoying your work. Um, I will say, as a matter of opinion, don't try to don't get too addicted to praise from fans, though. Right? Don't let that be your don't let that be your primary motivation. Because I mean, it's nice to hear. It's always nice to get positive feedback. But if people are just heaping praise on you and your work online, and that's what keeps you going, is I want I want more of that. You got to be careful; you're not getting into someplace unhealthy. You know, is it about the work now, or is it about you hearing nice things said about you? And also, if you get too far into that mindset, what's going to happen when you write something that bombs? Because it'll probably happen for a lot of people, and it might not even be because your thing is objectively bad. Because there is no objective it's a matter of taste right one of the largest uh, factors in your success as a writer whether or not people like your stuff is i don't want to say it's completely out of your control but you only have a limited amount of control over it right you can just do the best you can and hope for the best and i've known authors who have put out works that didn't do very well that they thought were their best stuff and vice versa so if you're just in it for the praise, the criticism is going to hurt even more, 
right? So if you really want to pursue this, figure out why. Think about why. Like, what what am I getting out of this that makes it worthwhile to me? And for me, you know, it's a job now, but it's also, like I said, I like turning in the work. I like having a physical copy of my book in my hand. I, I like... Um, have ideas for stories and I like having an outlet for that and maybe uh, your desires as a writer are the same or maybe they're different but have it be something besides I just want to do this I just want to make money because you're you're pro making money is probably not on the table at least right away <laughs> all right well a, I'm going to start wrapping up here uh, daddy boar pig uh, last chance for questions or anything for Mike. Well, I just uh, I want to say, you know, along with what Mike says, there are external factors that you have no control over. I mean, maybe your book came out the same week that a James Patterson book came out and it just swamped the buyers. And so people didn't pay attention to your book, um, you know. Maybe uh, your book came out after uh, a big, huge movie in the same genre bombed and, and people were turned off on that genre and they just didn't want anything to do with it. Um, there, there's all kinds of things that could have nothing to do with your work or the quality of your work. Uh, that if your book had come out a week before, a month before, or six months later, it might have done fine. It might have even been, you know, bestseller. But well, I have a pers personal example of that, right? Uh, the Family Business came out in 2021 after half of the bookstores in the country had been shut down for months, right? That's That hurt. A lot of writers I know took a giant hit in their... Uh, in their royalties and during the 2020 to 2021 in some cases as much as half right so that was completely out of anybody's control but turns out not having bookstores open hurts book sales so you know don't don't take failure too hard uh if you can look at your work see if there was anything obvious that you did wrong and then you have to slough that off and move on you just have to. Well, it's like um, it's like anything else in your life, you know. A lot of people, you'll be you know, ever have this happen to you. You're driving along, or just going about your day, and suddenly, somewhere from back of your brain, you have this memory of something you did, like when you were 19 years old, or back in high school, or that was really embarrassing, and you just want to cringe because you're thinking about it. Like, why did this pop into my brain now? right it's embarrassing and it's it's awful it's like that you need to just like okay it's done and done don't worry about it right people didn't like it oh well just let it go and you have to do that for your own sake i'm not saying don't learn from your mistakes you need to learn from your mistakes but don't don't dwell don't beat yourself up don't there's there's a line between you know honest self-assessment of where how you're doing and just being a dick to yourself because that's how people are right so, yeah, that's all I wanted to say is don't let just because something doesn't work, it doesn't work out as well as you like, doesn't mean it was your fault or doesn't mean it was a bad idea. 
And sometimes success can also hinge on good luck too, right? Uh, luck plays a much bigger factor in this than a lot of us would probably would probably be comfortable with. Like you may have just come along at the right time and got noticed and versus somebody else who didn't. Like of all the not think about the not like the book series got turned into TV shows versus the ones that didn't, you know? Is it because the books who got made into TV shows are better? Or is it just because they thought that'd be more marketable? And that may that's the difference between somebody just being a writer and somebody being a multimillionaire, right? <laughs> so for sure. Uh, yeah, but that that's it for me as far as asking questions go. All right, Mike. It it has been awesome to have you on and i really appreciate all of your insights um into the business and the way you write and everything right like that um and uh it's been great to have you on but this is your opportunity uh last shilling last uh last words oh you know what let me i might as well actually talk about the book that i came here to talk about then right trouble yeah. walk in it's a kind of a classic pulp detective story set on a futuristic colonized planet called Nova Columbia and Nova Columbia orbits the star 18 Scorpii, which the planet is probably not there, but the star definitely is. And the crux of the story is, like I said, a woman comes into the office, wants her to find her missing sister. Well, her missing sister works for Ascension, the largest corporation on the planet, and they got their fingers in everything. So it quickly grows into something much larger than a missing person's case especially when it becomes learned by the characters that learn that uh, this might be involve ancient alien artifacts, something they don't know what it is, they don't understand, called the Seraph. So, if that sounds like an interesting story to you, you should go out and buy my book. If that doesn't sound like an interesting story to you, you should go out and buy my book, but don't read it, because I get paid either way. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And definitely uh, that, check out the family business because uh, it didn't get as big exposure as it should have. It's a great book. I I didn't I didn't do it. Mike uh, Mike dropped. He dropped literally dropped the mic there. But uh, that was funny. I was just saying that you dropped the mic. That was awesome. I hit the wrong thing on my. Uh my screen and back down. So, I do that at the uh, almost at the end of almost every broadcast. My my mouse cursor is hovering over a leave studio instead of end broadcast. So one of these days I'm just gonna leave Daddy Warpig hanging wondering how to end the show. <laughs> just uh, sitting here talking. Going on. <laughs> maybe, maybe playing music that'll get our channel shut down. It's a I mean it's a podcast, right? People are here to listen to you talk. So exactly. Uh, and we do appreciate everybody who did. I don't know if you know, uh, Mike, looks like you had a couple of uh, friends in the chat. Uh, it's good to see those guys show up and I hope you made some new fans here. I really appreciate everybody hanging out in the chat. Oh, yeah. We'd love live. to have Mike Massa come on. If he wants to come on and talk about his stuff, that would be awesome. You should get Mike Massa. Mike Massa is a good guy. He's funny. And because, Noted. He, and because he was a Navy SEAL, he has great hair. So, <laughs> I didn't know that was a that was a. It's not just the seals; it's the navy in general. Um, at one point in the EOD school, we uh, had a navy chief as an instructor, and uh, 
we didn't like the Navy guys in class didn't all have hair gel in, so we got smoked for that. <laughs> you know what? I, uh, one of my oldest friends was in the Navy, and he's got pretty great hair. So I, I think uh, I'm seeing the pattern now. Now that you pointed it out, I won't be able to unsee it. <laughs> uh, uh, I absolutely. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to talking to him, and it was great fun having you on Mike. Hey, uh, great to hear me. your perspective and insight. Um, I hope everybody listening later also goes out and buys trouble walked in because uh, I, honestly, and this is just me being selfish here. Um, every once in a while, I like to take in a good film noir. So I hope that someone takes this story and starts a space noir film series because uh, I think, I think our, uh, entertainment needs that trend uh so thanks for writing this that was you know i don't want i can't say i had fun writing it because it's it was an uphill struggle but it was satisfying to get it done and i'm glad people are enjoying it because like i said this is a new thing for me this is a brand new genre different kind of take on it and i also hadn't written a first person narrator in a while so uh well i i'm glad it's paying off for you uh, DW, uh, I leave the show to you. All right. I want to thank everybody who came in and listened live. Uh, I'm going to pause for a second to enjoy a cold sip of water so I can do this. <laughs> I want to thank everybody who came in and listened live. Um, and remember, folks, uh, and I also want to thank everybody who came in and listened later. Uh, you can catch the show on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab, that's youtube.com slash Geek Gab, just about every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, you can join in our chat with the unusually intelligent and highly attractive members of our audience. You can also catch us on soundcloud.com, on the Google Play Store, and on the Apple iTunes store, just do a search for GeekGab. We're available on the device of your choice to listen on the web or to download to your computer. We will be signing off for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.